We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. January 7th. I'm joined today by James Anderson. Uh, James, we're hopefully going to make this a, a weekly occurrence, having you drop in on the pod, uh, at least until who knows what's going on with this baseball season. But uh, until things pick up there, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully have you on for a, a little guest spot to uh, kind of jump around the league, talk a lot about rookies. Uh, you know, Later on today's pod, we'll, we'll look ahead to some of the names to keep an eye on for the 2021 NBA draft, which is shaping up to be a good one. Um, but I, I want to I want to go back to the 2020 class, uh, which we we did kind of a a week one review uh, of most of the top rookies last week, and and honestly, since we did that, I, I think both Tyrese Halliburton, uh, who returned from injury last night for the Kings and uh, essentially willed them to a win over Chicago with 15 points in the fourth quarter, uh, both he and Lamelo Ball have have played really really well, um, and I, I wouldn't say they've made it like a two man race for Rookie of the Year. Uh, James Wiseman is still the Vegas favorite as of right now, um, and Cole Anthony, you know, going to take over for Markel Fultz, you would think, uh, should basically double his, his minutes per game uh, over the next months here. But 
Uh, LaMelo Ball scored in double figures for the fifth straight game last night. Uh, that was a win for the Charlotte Hornets over Atlanta. Uh, over that five-game stretch, he's now averaging 15.5 points, six rebounds, six assists, almost two steals per game, over a half a block per game. He's at 44% from the field, 35% from three. Uh, I, I think I was more skeptical of LaMelo than you were, James. But, I mean, I, I did not think he would have games like this, you know, within the first two and a half weeks of the season. I mean, yeah, I was really high on him, but I was high on him long term. I mean, even this is kind of a pleasant surprise. But if you if you listen to last week's pod, we were saying Halliburton at six to one and Lamelo at seven to one were the two best bets. And I mean, like I, to me, I think Lamelo is probably the favorite at this point, um, at least in my eyes, because he he's kind of doing it all, and he just he he's better at the things he was supposed to be bad at and the stuff he was supposed to be good at. He's really good at. And I mean, it's just, it's kind of rare to see any rookie come in and be this type of across the board contributor this early on, especially a guy that's had as little experience, like high level experiences as he has. So, uh, I mean, he, he's really kind of become my favorite guy to, I mean, I, I don't watch, Hornets games all the way through. I mean, that would be crazy, but I, I do watch the ball highlights uh, almost every night. Yeah. I mean, the experience is one factor. Um, and then just, I mean, regardless of whether he had played American college basketball and, and had more exposure or not, I, I think he's the type of prospect that if he came out and just had a terrible rookie year, nobody would have been all that shocked. You know, you, you, a lot of people would still be high on him long-term. Um, I, I think like there was this, you know, this notion that he plays carelessly, you know, I, I think we, I thought we would see more like 33 foot pull-ups out of nowhere. Um, his game just looks so much more, you know, veteran-like, I guess, already. Um, and I think it's interesting to contrast it with Lonzo, who had, I think was the much more polished prospect coming out of his one year at UCLA. At least that's what people thought. I mean, to me right now, like he, LaMelo's already had like five better games than Lonzo. Lonzo did not have a great rookie year in LA. Like LaMelo just looks so much more comfortable already. And you know, based on the trajectory that those two were on, respectively, coming up through high school and college, it, you would have thought it would go the other way. Well, I think, you know, the part of the reason why I was so high on him is just the that basketball IQ and the, the feel for the game was just really mm -hmm. uh, special. And I think what we're seeing now is that, like, the bad shots he was taking in Australia, I think he was just kind of just testing, like, he was exploring the studio space a little bit and really just sort of trying stuff over there uh not necessarily trying to win games over there but he's he's such a smart basketball player that he knows you know doing that stuff early on in his rookie season is not going to lead to him getting the minutes he wants and yeah I mean he just I think his teammates love playing with him I mean that that's another thing that I I thought sort of separated him from a guy like Anthony Edwards where I mean he's he's making his teammates better every every single night and uh he just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy to see him like the three pointers he's hitting. Like it's not, it's not kind of a, a traditional shooting form, but I mean, it, it's, it just looks really good. And the passing and the size is another thing. Like when you watched him and Trey Young going up against each other in that game, like he could kind of do whatever he wanted because he's just so much bigger than Trey Young. And I think that that's, that's something that he's going to run into this season is, 
you kind of got to put a a shooting guard type of defender on him. Like you can't you can't just put up your your point guard on him most nights because he's just too big. He's so good at the the subtleties too of you know he's he's not really gonna blow by you for a dunk or anything like that. He's not that kind of athlete, but he can get into the lane and use head fakes, use subtle ball fakes. You know the angles that he's throwing some of these alley oops uh, where where defenders you know can't even get like a swat at them. Um, it's, it's just been crazy impressive. And I, I think the other thing that makes me like him as a, as a rookie of the year bet is I, I think his minutes are going to continue to go up. Um, you know, Devonte Graham did play 39 minutes in that game against Atlanta last night, but I mean, his, his, these are his last five shooting games, two of 14, five of 13, one of 10, one of 10, three of eight. I mean, he has been as damaging as like almost any player any starting player in the league so far. And I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point, um, especially if this season does go somewhat south for Charlotte, at some point they make that switch and we start to see Lamella Ball starting alongside Terry Rozier. Yeah, Ball and Ball and Rozier definitely have a chemist, uh, chemistry right now that I, I don't think they either guy has with uh, Devontae Graham. Um, mm-hmm. And he just, you know, he was extremely surprising last season kind of for a reason. Like nobody expected him to be that good it might've been a mistake to sort of expect that to actually be his true talent level going forward, especially with expectations, you know, I mean, last year, everything he was doing was kind of out of nowhere. Um, I think he's, he's sort of better suited in sort of a J.R. Smith type of role, mm-hmm. um, like off the bench, ideally just kind of a, a volume scorer who, who plays like 25, 28 minutes a game on a, on a decent team. I think that that's kind of the role that Graham fits in best. And um, I mean, there aren't really fans, but you know, I think the the whole point of this Hornets team to me is just LaMelo ball. Like that, that's sort of their future. I mean, I know they have Gordon Hayward, mm-hmm. but the, the whole future of this team, if it's ever going to be a, a playoff team, is is kind of through LaMelo Ball. So I, I definitely expect him to move into the starting lineup sooner than later. So I was talking with some friends this morning uh, about Tyrese Halliburton, uh, who is a Wisconsin guy, of course, at least at the high school level. Uh, do you think he could be this year's version of Tyler Hero in terms of ascent into, you know, mainstream fandom? Well, yeah, I mean, I think he's he's kind of already ahead of schedule in that regard. Yeah. Um, like Tyler Hero, Tyler Hero's kind of coming out party was the bubble. Right. I mean, he had a good rookie season leading up to the bubble, but it wasn't – I mean, you had to be really in the weeds to, to kind of notice what he was doing before the bubble. And uh, no, no pun intended, but um, he – you know, Halliburton, he's – he's a different player than hero uh, in, in a lot of ways, obviously. Um, like he had a play in last night's game, I think where um, Marvin Bagley was going to try to save a ball that was out of bounds that would have, was going to stay King's ball and Halliburton like held him back from, <laughs> from doing that. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's like, he's already the almost the smartest player on that team and he's a rookie and it's crazy to say, but like they they need him to to win games. Like when he when oh, yeah. he missed those two games, like <laughs> he's like one of the most important players on the team already. Um, so again, yeah, I I think he he's similar to Hero and just where they went in the draft and um, the fact that they they're both going to be kind of top three to four rookies in their class. But 
you know, I think he's already kind of more of a winning basketball player than Hero was this early in his rookie season. He's playing the exact same game that he did at Iowa State. And I, he wasn't one of those guys that I thought um, – and I, I kind of gave some, some of this to Anthony Edwards. I was thinking, you know, one, he's one of those guys that when you get to the NBA, there's more spacing, there's more shooting around you, maybe things open up. I, I never really thought about Halliburton in that context, but he's, he's basically doing exactly what he was doing at Iowa State with better players around him, more spacing, larger court. Um, the all-around production has been there. I mean, he has eight steals in his last three games. He had a block last night. Uh, and like you said, I, I think as of right now, he's probably their second most important player, arguably their most important player. Like Buddy <laughs> Heald did not play well in that game last night. De'Aaron Fox left that game in the first quarter with a hamstring injury. Like w- without Halliburton, he had 15 points, 15 of his 17 in the fourth quarter. Without Halliburton, they, they probably lose that game by double digits to Chicago. I would say their three most important players are Fox, Rashawn Holmes, and Halliburton. Yeah. Um, like uh, Rashawn Holmes almost more because of who his backups are, but um, like Halliburton just drives winning. Uh, and I think the, the, the thing you were mentioning, like comparing him and like Edwards and getting to the NBA, I think he's just one of those guys uh, where he's much better when he's playing with other good players. Like when he was at Iowa state and his teammates sucked, it was tough for like the stuff that he did well to really kind of shine through. But when he's surrounded by other, you know, NBA caliber players, starting caliber players, I think that that's where his game just kind of goes to another level. And I think that that's, that's part of why, like, I mean, the Warriors were never going to take him at two. I don't think, I think they were going to really swing for the fences there, but that's part of why I think he would have fit so well on that on the Warriors is mm-hmm. because he just, he kind of knows how to play already and he knows how to make his teammates better. He knows where to be. Um, so I think it's, he'll, he'll definitely be in the mix and the, the rookie of the year uh, hunt as the season goes on. Yeah. With Fox, I mean, we haven't received a timetable on him, but I mean, it, that looks like something that's probably going to cost him at least a week, if not more. Um, and, and this was already a super shallow team. I mean, before Halliburton had that, that mini wrist injury of his own, he was already playing like 27 minutes a game, played 34 last night. Um, I, I think that'll probably be the norm for at least the next week and a half or so. Sticking with the Kings real quickly, Alex and I did hit on the, the Bagley Fox father drama uh, on Twitter uh, on, on Tuesday night's pod, but you sent me a very alarming clip this morning of Marvin Bagley demanding a clear out uh, in, <laughs> during last night's game, um, demanding a clear out from like 14 feet away. Again, I don't want to harp on this too much, you know, if you listen to the Tuesday pod, but what, like, what exactly is Marvin Bagley asking for here? I mean, I, I'm torn because I, I think he deserves to be sort of piled on, you know, a little bit, but I also recognize that he's in a, what must be a very frustrating spot with just the amount of pressure on him as, like, I mean, he was the best player at every single level he went to until he got to the NBA. And now he's a very bad player who has this, you know, the, the number two overall pick sort of hanging over him. And the fact that they took him over much better players, like it's, it's just got to be tough to have that much pressure on you, but be unable, but not be good enough to kind of do anything about it. And so I think that's, that's kind of what you saw in that, that clip that I said to you, like he, I think he's trying so hard to be good and like to show that he was worth going where he went in the draft and everything like that. 
that he's just he's getting in his own way and he's he's not even good at the stuff that he was supposed to be good at really like he like I don't even know what he's good at like I don't, I don't know what you would say he's like I mean he really shouldn't even be in their rotation if the goal is to win games he shouldn't even be in the Kings rotation so the fact that he's like he's not going to get that type of an opportunity anywhere else um and so, I mean, I think he's probably just kind of looking for someone to blame, like, rather than looking in the mirror mm-hmm. and maybe kind of getting some bad advice um, in that regard from the people close to him. In Bagley's defense, he did have 21 and 12 with two steals and two blocks and three three-pointers in last night's game. So, I mean, there is something there, but there, there's, certain, there's something lacking in terms of just like next level basketball IQ. He has no assists in his last two games. He has four total assists on the season in 203 total minutes. I mean, assists aren't the end all be all, but like even there just aren't a lot of like elite players at any position. Even we're even talking like defensive centers, like, like you, you can at least get to like two assists per game just by being a smart basketball player. And if, if you don't do that, that, that kind of tells me a lot. I think about just like where your overall game stands. If you, if you can get 20 and nine, that's great. But if you're, if you're setting your teammates up one time in 35 minutes, I don't care what position you play or, or what style of, of game you have. Like that, that to me is a huge red flag. Yeah. He's, he's just a total black hole and he, he almost kind of reminds me in some ways of former Duke uh, prospects, Jaleel Okafor and Jabari Parker in that he just like, he's always just been this scorer and he, like that's, when you get to the NBA, like you have to be able to score efficiently and mm-hmm. the, the ways that he scores like post-ups and stuff like that, it's just not, not very efficient. I mean, he, he definitely needs to be able to stretch the floor. Like if he can't do that. Um, and I mean, he, he's got plenty of season left to, to try to improve on that. Like you said, he went three for five from three last night, but I mean, he really has to be able to stretch the floor uh, to be kind of anything in the NBA. I mean, he's, he's a terrible defender, obviously. Um, doesn't, doesn't set up his teammates like you alluded to. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of see where the, the three-point shot goes. Uh, looking right now, he's shooting 35%. I mean, that's, that's better than I would have expected. If he can kind of keep that up, maybe he can just be a, a stretch big who plays like 25 minutes a game or something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just – that was a horrible pick at the time yep. and it, it looks even worse now. Yeah. And it's, it's only amplified because of Doncic and Trey young too. I, I don't think it would be quite as disastrous or quite as dramatic if, if those were the guys, um, you know, if somebody else was picked behind him, but yeah, it's, it's just going to keep looking worse and worse, honestly. Hey, NBA fans owner's box is here to reinvent the way you play fantasy sports this season. Owner's Box is not DFS. They're the first ever weekly fantasy sports platform to combine the best elements of daily and season-long fantasy. Owner's Box is a head-to-head elimination-style format that keeps players engaged through live snake drafts and a new layer of strategy that allows you to become the ultimate fantasy GM. Compete with your opponent over seven days of fierce competition and get paid out weekly. On Owner's Box, users can brand themselves and engage socially on the platform in multiple different ways, add friends, create custom leagues, and rank up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. Users are able to draft a new team every single day 
and participate in different types of contests to keep the fantasy experience fresh and fun so you're never out of the game. To tip off the NBA season, if you sign up free now, Owner's Box will match your first deposit up to $500. Think you got what it takes to be a weekly fantasy GM? Visit ownersbox.com slash rotowire to claim your bonus and make a name for yourself today. Uh, I want to hit on uh, some of the, the questions from our forthcoming NBA roundtable, which will be up on the site on Thursday afternoon. So by this time, or by the time you listen to this pod, uh, it'll likely be up so you can check that out. Um, but I asked you guys five questions, got a bunch of responses. Um, it's going to be a good one. I, I kind of just want to go through and, and have you expound on some of the answers that you gave. Um, and, and some of these are, are fantasy related, some aren't. Uh, the first one is less than three weeks into the season, who are some of the players that you immediately have buyer's remorse on already? Uh, was I didn't even, it took me like five seconds to think of these. Yep. Um, Yusuf Nurkic and Pascal Siakam, uh, just really, really terrible starts to the year for both those guys. And um, in Nurkic's case, I thought he looked amazing in the bubble. Yep. And I just, expected that to like why wouldn't that have carried over i don't know if if he like maybe got covid or something i i just i don't understand why he's so much worse now than he was in the bubble maybe he's hurt or i, I just i really don't know what it is um like the the defensive numbers aren't even there it's not that he's just been he, he's been kind of useless in terms of scoring and and uh, efficiency but like he's not even giving you the the blocks that you were hoping for. Um, and I, I have huge buyer's remorse there. I mean, I, I wish I'd taken Miles Turner over him in, in every league. And uh, Siakam was kind of the opposite where he was terrible in the bubble. And I sort of thought that that, like I, I thought he would come back this year with a vengeance and kind of get back to the player he was early last season. But he, it's been uh, – it's been pretty bad. I mean, he did have 32 points uh, last night, which is, which is a good sign. Um, but yeah, I, I, I sort of expected him to bounce back to where he was early last season when he was a first te- or a second slash third team all NBA caliber player. Um, and it's, it's weird. Like the, the, the team kind of reprimanding him was kind of weird too. It's like, you wonder what, what's going on behind the scenes. Cause I mean, he's always had, like they have never really been concerns about his character or anything like that. Um, so maybe, maybe he's just been really frustrated and, and taking it out on coaches or teammates or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, Siakam, it's just been a, a really rough start to the year and I really don't know what the cause is with him or Nurkic's uh, poor starts. Well, sticking with Siakam, what do you think about Toronto in general now? One in six, after last night's loss, like you said, Siakam did have by far his best game of the year in that one. But like going through their box scores night to night, it's they have like one or two guys who play well. Usually one of Siakam, Van Vliet, and Lowry play well. And it's like everybody else just has a terrible game. And and I don't know if you've seen some of the quotes from Nick Nurse. I think it was two games ago after yeah. they, they got washed by Boston, you know, a Celtics team that had like six rotation players available. They get blown out basically in that game. And And Nick Nurse, I think, was asked about Malachi Flynn, who played his first real minutes of the season. And he basically ignored that question and just like went <laughs> off about how terrible everybody else was. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he, I mean, he's really frustrated, right? I'm sure oh, yeah. he thought that he was getting 
the same team he had last year. Uh, and it, it just, I, I, I didn't care about them losing Ibaka or Marcus Gasol heading into the season that much because it's like, you don't, and I mean, they, they obviously lost those guys before Giannis made up his mind. I think if they had known uh, that Giannis was going to sign the extension, they, they would have probably brought back at least Serge Ibaka, I, I would imagine. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, like Norman Powell's been just terrible. Uh, Aaron Baines has been terrible. Like I, I thought, I kind of thought Aaron Baines would be a nice sort of cheap replacement uh, for those guys, but I, I don't think I dove deep enough into the way his season evolved last year. I, I knew he got off to that great start, but I don't think I really noticed how kind of mediocre he went as the season went on. Um, so like the pieces, are, the pieces are still here for them to have a, a really uh, strong defense, especially on the perimeter and on the wings. Um, but, you know, I think the, I think the Tampa Bay thing has really been a big, issue here that I none of us can really quantify how much that matters but I think it's you it's tough to ignore at this point that it definitely has mattered to some extent yeah I, I think they just kind of got the benefit of the doubt with that because they were the team that like all the features was being written about uh, at the start of the bubble about how they had made it their home and all that um, and I, I think to have to go do that again in a different city when 29 other teams just get to live a semi-normal life in their in their home cities is a pretty major disadvantage. Um, and it really hasn't been talked about at all. And I, I think this whole season has just felt a little bit weird so far, playing in the empty arenas. Um, there, I've noticed there's been like a huge downturn in like how many people are just talking about the games in general. Um, like I was, I was watching, were you watching Warriors Clippers at all last night by chance? No. So I, like in the second half of that game, Kawhi drove to the lane went up for a dunk and Draymond like literally grabbed him by the bicep and like threw him down. And of course tried to do the Draymond like, Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I was going for the ball. Got a flagrant. Like it was, it was a bad foul. Like Kawhi already is wearing a mask. His face is all banged up. He got up, they had some words. Like this is a moment that normally would, you know, you open Twitter and there's 50 tweets about it. Like nobody was even talking about it. It was, it's just weird. I, I think just interest maybe in general um, has been tough to generate early on with this, with this weird season, the quick start. Um, and, and that's, I think, trickled down to pretty much everything. And the quality of play has been terrible. Like it's, yeah. it's, uh, it, you, and, and I think what you're kind of seeing is in many cases, the teams that weren't in the bubble are, you know, with, with some obvious exceptions, like a lot of those teams are, are playing, you know, above their heads. Yeah. And then a lot of the teams that were in the bubble are just really kind of going through the motions like it. And yeah. it, it's, it's such a stark contrast because the quality of play in the bubble was amazing. Like that was right. some of the best basketball I've ever seen in part because all those bad teams weren't there. Um, but I mean, it's just, you, you're seeing so many blowouts, um, mm-hmm. just really weird box scores. Like the Knicks are somehow respectable. Like it's just been a really funky season. Yeah, it started to look like the travel was the main thing in, in the yeah. bubble. You know, not not anything to do with the fans or, or half the league not being there. It's just, you know, there's something to be said about not having to hop on a plane and arrive in a city at 3 a.m. because you have a, a road road back-to-back. Um, I want to skip to uh, to the Phoenix Suns, who have 
I, I, they're one of those teams. They, they were in the bubble. Obviously, they fell short of the playoffs, but you know they finished the year 8-0 in Orlando. They had Chris Paul, and they basically picked up right where they left off. And everything in the bubble felt a little, uh, I don't know, magical, for la- maybe an illusion, for lack of a better term, um, based on how that team had looked for the first 70 games of the year. But, I mean, this, this looks extremely real. And, and what I said to Alex on Tuesday is it, they're 6-2 and two right now, and it feels like they're just kind of cruising to a lot of these wins, despite like, none of their big three of, of Booker, Paul, and Aiton really playing all that well so far. Like the, the Booker and Paul pairing, when they're on the court together, hasn't been that great. They've been great individually, um, but like Chris Paul's numbers aren't fantastic. Devin Booker's scoring is down a little bit. Aiton's not playing a ton of minutes, and, and yet they've, like I said, they've kind of coasted to, to six wins in these first eight games. Yeah, and I, I think they could get the number two seed just kind of by default because they, unlike team, some of these other teams, you know, they're off to slow starts for various reasons. Like they're not – they're missing pieces from last year or, or whatever. And the Suns are a team on a mission. Um, and, yeah, I don't even think they've hit their stride yet, like you, like you alluded to. Like anyone who has – any of those big three on their fantasy teams is like, well, when are they going to start doing what I thought they were going to do? So the fact that they're not, and they're still this good is, is really encouraging. Like, I mean, I, I don't really see any reason why they couldn't go, like they could win a couple playoff series um, yeah. because they, they have the things that like the, the, the one weakness they have is that they, they don't really have good post defense. Um. But that's that's about it. Like they they have two guys and Chris Paul and Devin Booker that can go get a shot uh, whenever they want late in the game. Um, they have just two really nice wing stoppers slash like three and D guys and McCall Bridges, who I, I think McCall Bridges has just been super underrated for a while and is really having a breakout year. And uh, Jay Crowder, I mean, I don't. I mean, he hasn't had. Uh, the greatest games but I mean he's just he's a guy that you can put on uh, all those big wings and he can just at least be competent and he has to be respected behind the three-point line so uh, I think they put together a really nice roster I mean again like the Jalen Smith pick over Halliburton was ridiculous and continues to look ridiculous but um, yeah I, I mean I think that the other teams like the Nuggets the Jazz the Mavericks like the Blazers um, you know, who knows what the Clippers are going to do. I mean, I think everyone would pick the Clippers over the Suns in a playoff series, but I don't think anyone would be shocked if, if the Suns won that. Um, and you just look at the problems all those other teams are dealing with. I don't really see any reason why they can't get the two seed. Yeah, I haven't been impressed with the Clippers. I mean, they let the Warriors hang around in that game last night a lot longer than they should have. Um, I mean, Chris Paul is averaging 13 points a game on 40% shooting right now. I, I think that pretty much says it all. Like he, he did not take a three in their game last night. That was the first time in any game playoffs or otherwise that he has not taken a three since 2015. I mean, they are, they seem to have him on this kind of in game load management, you know, almost in the, the LeBron type of style of, of Chris Paul, you know, doesn't have to exert himself. He's, he's, you know, averaging over almost eight and a half assists, um, not being asked to, you know, completely take over the offense when he's in the game. And I think he still has that in him. We saw that for a lot of the year last year. I think they just hope they can, they can kind of continue with this style. They have seven players averaging at least 11 points a game. Uh, that's not counting campaign. Who's averaging like nine a game off the bench. Um, I, I think they can, they can kind of ride this style through the regular season 
And then if you're playing the Clippers in round two or, or the Lakers in round two, you know, then you can switch to a more, you know, you shorten that rotation. You have Chris Paul playing 35, 36 minutes. You keep the ball in his hands and Devin Booker's. Um, but I, I think they're just going to do a really good job of, of not having to overexert Chris Paul, um, you know, over these, these first 72 games. It'd be nice if they could send him on like a three week vacation or something like that. Um, yeah. Like that one LeBron, like mid season thing from a few years ago. Cause like, they don't need like I think they would rather have the four or five seed and a extremely fresh and healthy Chris Paul in the playoffs than oh yeah uh, well maybe not the four or the five because they might have to play the Lakers in the second round but um, you you know even like a, a six seed or something like that if they mm. if they have their big three healthy and and ready to go I think that's the main thing um, and I just think it's yeah I mean Chris Paul at his age I mean it was only like a year ago when we thought that his contract was one of the worst ones in the league so I don't think it's surprising that with only a two-month layoff between uh, the end of last season and the start of this one that he's he's looking pretty uh, rusty Lakers or Clippers or the field to win the title I mean I would take the Lakers over the field uh, I think I would too. And I, I don't think I would have said that before the year, but like they haven't even looked that good. It's just everyone else has like no one, you know, we're talking about the Suns. you know, they're, they're a nice story. I think they, they could be a real player, but no other team has really made a case that they look like they're in the same league as the Lakers right now. And I still think the Lakers are built better for the regular season than the postseason, but that's still, that's kind of nitpicking a little, like, even if, like, even if you just said like, you know, Montrez Harrell is going to suck for 20 minutes a game in the playoffs against the very best teams. I still think they would win the title. Yeah. I mean, I think the argument with that is, well, you, you traded out two defensive minded centers and McGee and Howard for, you know, two offensive centers and, and Gasol and Harrell. I mean, neither McGee nor Howard were really playing actual minutes in the finals. Dwight was kind of in and out. McGee didn't play at all. You have Anthony Davis for that purpose. Like the Lakers can basically revert to last year's finals team whenever they want. Right, like the the Davis at center lineups with um, LeBron at point guard and KCP and Wes Matthews right. and Schroeder. you know whoever else like that nobody can match up with that lineup exactly. and and uh, Gasol is just there in case you run into the Nuggets and just need a guy to check Jokic or you run up against the Sixers in the finals need a guy to check Embiid like they're they're kind of covered. Uh, mm-hmm. in any matchup and yeah I mean, I mean they might have the two best players in any playoff series that they that they play like I, I think that that's very realistic unless they play the Knicks and you have to go up against Julius <laughs> Randle <laughs> the Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by BetMGM sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise that is why BetMGM has teamed up with Rotowire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month Rotowire subscription when you placed your first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website and use promo code ROTO, that's ROTO, R-O-T-O, to claim your free subscription. Once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of Rotowire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 
Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. All right, uh, real quickly, I want to get to the 2021 draft. Uh, It's still early. It's been a super weird college basketball season, even weirder than the NBA so far. Uh, Some of the top prospects aren't even playing college basketball. They're playing in the G League select team. I think it's called the Ignite, uh, which Mm -hmm. has not begun its season. There's going to be a bubble um, for the G League, which is going to begin, I I think, sometime in February or March. So that whole thing is kind of a mess. Uh, but but which prospects so far uh, that you've either seen on YouTube, seen on TV, read about? Like, who's caught your eye? Well, I definitely haven't watched any college hoops on TV. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I have uh, watched some uh, highlights on YouTube. Um, and uh, to me, I think, I mean, this isn't going out on a limb, but I mean, I think that those big three, uh, Kate Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, are – are kind of the, I think the first overall pick comes from one of those three. Um, Kate Cunningham at Oklahoma state is kind of a skilled wing uh, who can do stuff on the ball. And Jalen Suggs is a, just a really athletic uh, high motor guard who can kind of do it all. Evan Mobley is like a seven foot, really skinny guy, uh, but he's extremely skilled as well uh, with USC. Um, I mean, I, I could make a case for any of those three being the best guy in the class. I think my one, my I think Cunningham is is the most skilled and sort of the most obvious kind of NBA body like type of guy of those three. But I also think he, like his athleticism just doesn't really pop for me the way that you would expect a guy of his sort of pedigree to, to kind of have. I don't, I don't know if you agree with that at all, which has kind of made, like, I, I'm, I'm struggling to find a, a good comp for him because I just, he, he doesn't have that explosive athleticism, but he has this body that's just perfect for the modern game. And he can play on the ball, can play off the ball, can guard multiple positions. Whereas like Suggs to me, Jalen Suggs of, of Gonzaga is the guy that kind of, like when I, I just watch him and it's just like, oh yeah, like he, he's, he's going to be a explosive athlete. He's going to be a two-way guy. Um, you know, his free throw percentage is, is mildly concerning. I think it's below 70% as is mm-hmm. Mobley's, I believe, but um, that's really the only knock on him. Yeah. Suggs has been awesome. I mean, he was on the radar coming into the year, but pretty much immediately, you know, it was clear that he's, I think even better than some people thought coming out of high school, I like what I've seen out of Mobley. You know, he's, he's super skinny, but he's crazy long. I mean, he's legit seven feet, seven, four, seven, five wingspan plays hard. Um, has like a little bit of a, you know, kind of old school center game to him, but can also shoot it. Um, pretty skinny though. I, I think that's, you know, obviously one thing to, uh, to keep an eye on as far as whether he's able to, to actually add weight with Cunningham. I mean, the, the comparison that you would hear at least coming into the year was like, he's a, a slightly smaller Ben Simmons. And you know, he's, he's much better as a shooter, way more confident, you know, takes like five threes a game. That's not really an issue. 
Uh, but yeah, like you said, he's, he's not quite the jaw dropping athlete that Simmons is, and he's not a bad athlete, but I, there's not, you know, he's like, he's like somewhere between Simmons and like Kyle Anderson. You know, I don't know. I don't know what that player really looks like. There's, is there like, there's really not an archetype for that. Is there? I just, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I get kind of, uh, I don't know. It, it's like, what position do you think he is in the NBA? I mean, everywhere you see, he's listed as a point guard. I think the idea, the idea is he can be this big point guard like a Ben Simmons who, you know, doesn't give you quite that much defensively, doesn't have quite as much size, but, you know, has the major plus of being able to shoot the basketball. Yeah, like he, he's really smart. He can shoot. He's got great size. He has turned like, it over I, a ton. Sure. Well, well, you know, I think the big appeal with him is he could just fit sort of seamlessly on any roster. and Yeah. Like, he wouldn't have to be – like, he's a guy that – he wouldn't have to be your primary ball handler from day one. I mean, he, he could kind of grow into that role in a couple of years and still be a, a really good off-ball player who, who runs um, the second unit or something like that. But I, I am just a tiny iffy on, you know, guy – taking that guy number one in a loaded draft class when he is kind of – I'm trying to think who's like athleticism I would compare him to. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to say the name Evan Turner, but I will throw that out there. He's more yeah, athletic than Evan like, Turner. Like Harrison Barnes, like that type oh, of hey, thing. Oh, hey, come on. Um, it's just, you know, he, he's, if he was a, if he was a nuclear athlete, like if he was as athletic as Greg Brown uh, at Texas, mm-hmm. then he would be like the best prospect since LeBron James. Yeah. But he that's that's like the one holdup, and it, it makes me a little concerned about projecting him as a as a lockdown defender in the NBA. And it, you kind of w- wonder like how well he'll be able to get to some of his shots. But um, just I, the size I still think I still it, think he's going to be really good. Yeah, yeah, I I do too. But I I think the fact that he's the worst athlete probably of these three, I, I'd be okay. Yeah. Like I think you can make an argument to take Suggs over him, and I mm-hmm. like Evan Mobley is like. Brandon Ingram level skinny. Um, yeah. So you, you have to kind of get creative on how you're sort of visualizing the, the player that he becomes. But right. um, I, I honestly, I might take Suggs first of, of the three, just because I, I think I'm yeah. the most confident in what his role would be in the NBA and just how much success he would have out of, out of the gate. But yeah, I mean, I think we would take all three of these guys and probably another three or four guys over like Anthony Edwards. Yes. Um, I mean, I think LaMelo Ball has been so good early on that I think he, I wouldn't want to say I'd take too many of these guys over him, but um, I mean, I think mm-hmm. you're, you're definitely going to have three or four guys in this class uh, that end up being better than yeah. Edwards for sure. And uh, probably a few of the other top guys from 2020. Yeah. I, I would say some of the luster has worn off this class a little bit. I mean, there was talk, you know, a year or so ago, it was like, oh, this is going to be, you know, the, the guy you're getting at 14 in 2021 is better <laughs> than the guy you're getting at two in 2020. It's not quite that deep. Um, but I think there's, there are like five guys who could conceivably go number one in other years. You know, you're talking the three that we've hit on plus Jalen Green plus Jonathan Kaminga, who are mm-hmm. the two G League guys. And they've, I think they've kind of been artificially pushed down a little bit just because they haven't been able to play. You know, for all we know, Green and Kaminga could very well be in the, the number one conversation if they show out, you know, for that G league team, have you been able to watch Jalen Johnson at all at Duke? A little bit. 
I've been impressed. I mean, he's a, he's a, a Wisconsin kid. He played just down the road for me when I lived in Madison, um, went and saw him live a couple of times. He, he looks like a man. I mean, he is big. He's six, nine, a, a legit two twenty, two thirty. I'm kind of playing more of like a power forward for Duke, which he was more of like a shooting guard, you know, as most of these guys are uh, at the high school level when everything runs through them. Uh, the numbers have, have been really up and down. Obviously Duke's been super disappointing, but to me, he's kind of been like the one bright spot for them. And like, I, I think he's one of those guys that when you get to the NBA level, things really open up. Um, I, I think he just, he looks like an NBA player playing college basketball. Yeah. That, that's probably the strength of this class is that the guys you're getting in the like five to 10 range are probably better than the guys you're getting yes. in the one to five range of this past draft. But I do agree. Like, I'm not seeing like one of those guys we just talked about could end up being a, a superstar, like all, all NBA like first teamer type of guy. Um, but I, I don't think I have that level of certainty with them. And, and doesn't that, doesn't that always happen when a draft class just gets crazy hyped up Yes, that, that it ends up underwhelming. And then those drafts where everyone's like, Oh, this draft is terrible. Like you end up still getting a few really good guys uh, from mm -hmm. the first round. No, exactly. It's just, I mean, just how 2020 went already where it was, you know, everybody thought every single player in the, in the first round would be a bust. And, you know, it's, it, I think even guys like Isaac Okoro look, look better than we thought already. Yeah, for sure. All right. We got to get going, James. I will leave you on this note. The New York Knicks have just signed Taj Gibson. Why? What is going on? Get, getting the band back together. <laughs> Oh my God! What are they doing? Why did like just when things are going well? It's like you know who we need. He's the look. He's the final piece. He's the final piece of the puzzle. 